Good to be with you again. If you have Bibles there in front of you, you want to turn to Colossians. We'll be finishing a short series on Colossians chapter 1. Won't be going all the way through the end of the chapter, but most most of it. We have uh, two new births as of yesterday. Uh, one with Caleb and Elizabeth Pede, who are members here, uh, had a little baby. And then we've David and Cookie Lee, who are members here. Their daughter, Abby, had her firstborn. Uh, yesterday as well, so we've got a, a whole new wave of uh, of expected moms that are that are delivering uh, right right around this time, so we can remember them in our prayers. Uh, last two weeks we talked about from Colossians. Uh, two weeks ago we talked about from Colossians one, starting in verse nine and following the uh, the prayer that Paul had for the Colossian believers, the prayer of a Christian of what. We, we talked about it in terms of if, if you could have someone pray the essentials for what a Christian life would be like and look like, that this really captures it in verses 9 and following here in Colossians. And then last week, we looked at the song of a Christian, looking at the, the Colossian hymn starting in, in verse 15 and following, where Paul breaks out into poetry describing this Jesus who is both the Creator and the Redeemer. Um, and talks about his kingship and what he came to do. And then this week, we want to look at the, the story of a Christian. Uh, the story of a Christian. It's My son, Nathan, is almost six, and he is in kindergarten at FPD for the, uh, for the first year, this year. And um, they had, today, it had Storybook Character Parade Day, where they all get to dress up like their favorite storybook characters, and then they get to parade all around different uh, parts of the school and get people to brag on how, how cute they look. And they feel pretty proud of themselves as they, as they parade around. Um, and uh, he dressed up like Christopher Robin uh, and from the Winnie the Pooh stories and had his little Winnie the Pooh with a, a red balloon um, you know, attached to it. And they walked around and a number of them came as Spider-Man and, and a bunch of different things. But if you had to dress up as a storybook character... Who would you be? Um, odds are that we all have back in our past somewhere, maybe more recent, maybe a long time ago, a favorite storybook character. Uh, as kids especially, we can identify and get caught up in uh, the imaginative stories that we grow up reading and hearing read to us. Um, and it, it gets in us. It, it resonates with with who we are, this idea of story. Uh, one of I remember watching a movie when I was growing up called The Never-Ending Story, uh, which was a, a very, very imaginative tale. Um, but the neat thing about it was that by the end of the movie, the boy that's sitting in the upstairs attic of a school reading this story actually becomes part of the story. And so it was such an appeal for me as a kid uh, to be... Uh, to, to, to enjoy that movie because the, the kid actually got to become part of it and take part in the battles and be involved in the, how the story would end. Well, if you're a Christian, uh, you've got a story. And it's just similar in the sense that it's got a setting, it's got a crisis, it's got a resolution, similar to the stories that you grew up um, reading and loving and, and wanting to be uh, a part of. And Paul... After talking about the, how he would pray, the prayer that he'd pray for a Christian and singing the song 
of a Christian. Now he, he gets down to the details and says, let me explain it to you in real brief terms. This is your story, Colossians. This is who you are. This is where you've come from. This is where you're going. And he says it here, starting in verse 21 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let me pray one more time for us. God, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word here this afternoon in our time together. Help us to see uh, the story that we're a part of and to, uh, to be thankful um, uh, for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story that Paul describes has four parts. He zeroes in on three of them in this passage, uh, but it, it assumes that there's a setting of creation, that there's a crisis that we call the fall, that there's a resolution uh, that we call uh, redemption through Jesus and what he's done, and then it is headed somewhere to completion um, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. So we want to walk through some of that. He starts off with uh, the crisis here. He's just sung about the setting of creation, that Jesus himself was not only the Redeemer, but the Creator. And he talked a little bit in the last few verses that we talked about the last couple of weeks about this creation. But here he talks about it in terms of what we lost, what we fell from, uh, what it looked like. And he says it, verse 21, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. If you're a Christian, if you're a human (laughs) here today, this is part of your story. That you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, if you're a Christian, uh, there's more to the story. Um, But he talks about it in the sense of uh, being alienated, being hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And what you need to know about the story is that that started, uh, that it wasn't always like that. It started very differently. Um, you know, if you've read any of, of Genesis, of, of the beginning of the Bible, of the way things were created, that God made Adam and Eve and he put them in this garden uh, in Eden. And Eden was this place that God had created that was, was perfect. Uh, it was all right. It was just that God created it. He called it good over and over and over. And then when he had finished his work on Adam and Eve, he called it very good. Meaning, this is, this is it. This is what I want things to look like. This is how uh, I want things to be uh, in, in my created way. Um, and in the midst of it, he did something that I, for years and years, could never understand. He put something uh, called what we know of as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for years and years, I couldn't understand, God, why didn't you just not make that tree? <laughs> it caused so much trouble, right? I mean... If you'd never made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then Adam and Eve wouldn't have found it and wouldn't have been tempted by the snake and all this kind of stuff. And we wouldn't have this whole mess of, of sin. Um, but the more I've studied it, the more I realized the reason we call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because that tree was just a fruit tree. But it was God's method 
of showing man and woman what evil and good are. And they would have known it whether they disobeyed, I think, or whether they obeyed. Think about it this way. Um, You've got God himself who comes each afternoon and walks in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. They've got that kind of relationship with their creator, God. So we know what really happened as Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent. They took the fruit and they ate and disobeyed God, basically declaring, um, God, we know we've got every other tree that's good for, for food here in the garden, but we're, we think you're, you're holding out on us. We think we know best and we're going to choose uh, to go our own way. But what if they didn't? What if they said, Serpent, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like what we know of the God that we walk in the cool of the day with every day. I mean, he's told us everything. He hasn't hidden anything from us. He's showed us everything. He's, he's given us every good thing for food on, on the, every other tree. This is just, he told us not to eat from this tree. And so they said, no, nah, we're going to pass. And then later that day, God shows up. Adam, Eve, oh, we're right over here. Um, and they start walking and they say, God, something weird happened today. This snake um, told us to eat from the tree that you told us not to eat of. And he would have said, well, that's evil. See, this snake is trying to tempt you to doubt my, my goodness and who I am and what I've told you. So I think that they would have probably learned of good and evil the right way. C.S. Lewis talks about it in this way. He says that we all um, have an option of whether to learn about evil either the easy way by submitting to it, by succumbing to our temptations and just giving in, or the hard way. And he said, those that resist evil know far more about evil than those that give in at the first chance. Think about it with with lust and temptation to to lust. If you give in at the first chance, then you know this much about the sin. You've just given into it. It's just kind of a base desire. If you start to resist it, you start to understand, man, this is, this is a complicated thing. It's, it's not just a, a base desire, but it, it tends to always come when I'm worn out physically or, or, or when I'm having a fight with my wife or, or whatever it is. It's, 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 it's a gnarled thing that, that's complicated and, tw- and twisted. And you learn more about the evil than if you'd just given in in the first place. So what God was doing was saying, hey, trust me. Um, this is, you're going to learn good and evil, but you can learn about it the right way in relationship with me, and we can stand together, or you can learn about the wrong way. Well, Adam and Eve chose the wrong way. They chose to go their own way, to, to, to put themselves up as God, and it sent things in a tailspin. And you don't have to read very far after the fall to see how bad things got. When you read about the story of the flood, it says very quickly that every intention of man's heart was only evil all the time. Now, I don't know if you can imagine that. You can think of what it would be like today if we walk out on these streets and every intention of all of our hearts are only evil all the time. It would be chaos. What God says in his word is that violence was filling his earth, that um, horrible things were being done, And to get a a taste of how bad it got, you can just think of what it would be like for you to look at your children. How bad would they have have had to have gotten for you to say, you know what? In order to preserve any good in this situation, I'm going to have to wipe you out. That's what God did. He looked at his good 
creation, his children that he had created. And he said, I'm going to save one of you and your family. But you've gotten so bad. You're filling the earth so bad with chaos and violence and evil that the only only option I've got is to, to start over and to not let things ever get this bad again. That's the weight, that's the gravity of our sin. If left to ourselves, how bad it gets, how quickly. That's part of your story. That's part of my story. We're alienated from God. We're not just, ah, we do some bad things. No, we're we're hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Our sin is, is ugly. It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. We should have chosen to, to trust God and His goodness. But it quickly goes to alienation, hostility, doing evil deeds. Now, thankfully, it doesn't stop there. If you're a Christian sitting here today, your story continues in, in, a, in a really, really good way. And he talks about it, and he says, not only you have this crisis, but you've got a means of rescue as part of your story. He says, He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. The idea of reconciliation in Scripture, or anywhere, has the idea of two parties that should be facing each other in a good, uh, 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 solid relationship who something has come between them and you have turned your backs upon one another. And and you're going to have to be reconciled. Something's going to have to be done to bring uh, the two parties together again. To face one another, to, to 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 relate rightly again. Now, when we think about the fall that we just talked about, the story of our sin, who has a right to have their back turned? God. We're the ones that rebelled, went our own way. But interestingly, it says sin's so twisted that we're so blinded that we're actually turned too. We're turned away from God. We're hostile in mind to Him. Well, it says that Jesus came to reconcile the two. And this is how it works. He says he reconciled, that they turned the two parties back to each other um, by his body of flesh, by his death. In his body of flesh, by his death. Each word there has, has a lot of meaning. It says that uh, a flesh, usually in Scripture, describes humanity as it opposes God. Body usually has a neutral morally neutral connotation, but it describes man in his totality. And then it says, Jesus entered into a world of temptation, um, experienced a, a fallen world fully, becoming fully man. But he's also fully God, as we talked about last week. And when you put two things that are so diametrically opposed, a good, holy, perfect God in the midst of a a rebellious, sinful, fallen world, there's bound to be an explosion when the two meet. I had a science professor, Mr. Phillips. He was great. Uh, He had uh, a glass eye that he'd take out and polish in class and put it... He loved to to mess with us as students. We loved him. Um, And he would do things like this. He would take us outside, uh, and this... I may tell you more about my upbringing and schooling than, than, than you need to know. But he would take us outside and he would say, you see this, um, kids, juniors in high school? Now, this is potassium. And he'd have a bucket, five-gallon bucket of water there. He'd say, watch this. And he'd throw the potassium, little bitty thing of potassium in the water, and it would just boom, and the water would all explode out of the bucket. 
And he would, uh, he would say at the end of it, you know, some things in this world weren't, weren't meant to go together. <laughs> um, and that was how he taught us science. Well, the cross tells us some things in this world were not meant to go together. A good, holy, perfect God was never meant to have a world filled with sin. And so when Jesus came and entered in and took our flesh upon himself, became born into our world, lived this life with the temptations, with the sickness, with the sorrow, it was bound to be an explosion. And it happened on the cross where Jesus took the the justified wrath of God that we deserve, he took it on himself. And he said, look at that Eric Ashley. He deserves wrath. He deserves alienation. He deserves punishment physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, because he is a rebel. And left to himself, look how good, how bad his sin would get. But he said, no, no, give it to me instead. In my body, I'll take all of that explosion on myself. I'll take the punishment that he deserves so that he can be reconciled. So that, God, you can now turn your face back towards him. And, Spirit, you can move on his heart at a point in his life where he'll turn back towards you. And the two of you can be reconciled together. You can begin to relate rightly again as you were created to isn't that powerful? That's the story of a Christian. That you, you have a crisis in your past. Sin. But you've also got a means of rescue. And that's the person of Jesus. And what he's accomplished through his body of flesh on our behalf. To accomplish reconciliation for you. And the story doesn't end there. There's also some hope of what's to come. It says... That he's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. On the cross, Jesus breaks the power of sin in an act. He breaks the power of sin. In our lives now, through a process, he works to, to rid us of sin's presence. See, the powers of, of, of sin has been dealt with. Sin, through everything it had against Jesus and accomplished death, its ultimate, the, the, the worst it can do, and Jesus took it and then defeated it by rising from the dead. So, so the power of sin has been broken. But the presence of sin we still find in our lives. And that's what Jesus is doing now in us until he comes again to complete it. He's working this process of ridding us of sin. Um, and it talks about it here that he, he died. He did all this stuff to present us holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed we remain steadfast, uh, continue in this faith, stable and steadfast. So there's this idea of, of all of these things that he wants to do. He wants to create a, a holy people in Christ. 
One commentator said it this way, the present process which begins with patient Christian living ends with resurrection itself and will result in Christians being presented without shame or fear before God as glad subjects of their king. Um, And our part is to remain. Our part is to continue. That word continue is just stay where you are in this place of faith, of resting in his finished work on your behalf, trusting in him. And, and, and you'll be established, a foundation will be laid, and you'll be firm, a superstructure will be erected there so that you become a building that's firm and steadfast to be presented when Jesus comes back. I, uh, we just had our, our fourth child um, Samuel, and I'm remembering again how, you know, when, when a little baby has something going on, stomach problems or whatever it is, um, there's times where only mommy can comfort them. Um, Daddy can do all that he wants to, and I'll, I'll sit there, I'll be holding, you know, Sam, and um, I'll be giving all that I can to comfort them. I'll be, you know, shifting him around, and, and if, if, he's, if he's upset, sometimes I just can't comfort him, and he's, he strains his body, and he kicks, and he pushes, and he knocks the pacifier out, and he's just wrestling, struggling almost to get away from the very arms that are, are trying to bring him comfort. <laughs> I think that's what the idea is in this passage is, hey, you, you're in the loving arms. If you've been saved... If you've been redeemed, if you've placed your trust in Christ alone for your salvation, then you are in the arms of this loving Savior. He's reconciled you to God. He's saying, stay there. Don't struggle to get away. Don't chase after other things that won't satisfy. Remain where you are and see as he takes you through this process, what we call sanctification, of making you more and more like Jesus which, I need to say, is a lot of times tough. He takes us through things that we would never have signed up for on our own. (laughs) But he's a good God that is doing something in the midst of that process. And he's saying, stay there. And I'm going to establish you. I'm going to make your foundations firm. And I'm going to build this superstructure so that you become the person that you were created to be in the first place. Um. And through us, the world, the creation is redeemed. We who, in rebelling in in the garden from the God who loves us and created us, who brought sin into the world and then saw violence going and filling the earth, now as he redeems us, as his representative, we can see redemption, reconciliation being brought not just to us, but to the good world that God created. And that's where he ends, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's not saying that at this time that he's writing this letter, everybody's been preached to. He's saying the king has made a proclamation. This is mine. And it's just a matter of time before every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, in all of creation that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what he's saying is, the king has made a proclamation. I, Paul, am a messenger, and I'm going to go and take it, take that message to the ends of the world. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be done. And I think I've shared it in here. I'll share it again. One of my favorite pictures of this, and I know it's probably not totally theologically right, but Beauty and the Beast. 
helps me understand the, the, the idea of that better than, than, than most things. Where Baal and the beast are at the end of the, the, the movie, you know, the beast is hostile in mind, right? I mean, that's his whole issue. He's, he's mad. And through love of this woman, he is redeemed. And he's transformed from the beast into this prince. And they're, they're brought together. And, and they're the important thing. They're the main thing. But it doesn't stop with them. Uh, it trickles. This, this new creation that's just happened trickles throughout the whole kingdom so that gargoyles become angels again. And, you know, the little footstools become puppy dogs again. And, and little cups become children again. They, they become what they were rightfully made to be. All of creation is redeemed. Human beings are, are God's focus, His main priority. But through us, the whole creation gets set free from its bondage to decay. And ultimately that happens when Jesus comes back and makes things all things new. And so we've got a great hope to look forward to even while he works his process in us now to make us more like himself. This morning... As you sit here, or this afternoon, as you sit here, you've got a story. It definitely includes alienation, hostility, and sin. That's all of, of, of uh, humanity's story. If you're a Christian, it doesn't stop there. It includes reconciliation, and it includes hope of things to come. It includes a process now of you being made more like Jesus. If that's not your story... And you want to talk about how that can become your story. I would love to talk to you about how to receive Jesus as your Savior even today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much that you are a good God. That you created us with huge purposes. And that God, even when we rebelled, even though we're steeped in sin, you didn't leave us there. But you sent a rescuer. Your only son to deal with the problem of sin by his life and death and resurrection, and that you're coming again to complete the work that you're st- you've started. Pray for the Christians in this room that you'd help us to remain in faith and steadfast while you do your work in us, and help us to be agents of reconciliation to, uh, to the world. And pray for, for those that don't know you, that, that aren't Christians today, God, that they would place their trust and their hope in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.